Welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to another GNT Show. We've managed to get our shit together to be able to, to go back on a weekly schedule now. And once again, I'm joined by my co-host with the most, a man who this week single-handedly campaigned outside Dom Perrottet's office to get Belmore <laughs> Stadium as one of the stadiums upgraded, but was told to go away because he was a weak, gutted dog, G. Thank you to Dominic Ricky Perrottet. There's been a lack of maintenance at Belmore, so I'm just hoping a railing doesn't fall over. So we need some money quick, smart. I've got that. I've got that story coming up, G. It's good to see you read the news. Um, if it was anybody but Lee Hadji Pantelis, I would take that at face value. You never know if Lee was f- using a file to kind of like, you know, weaken some stuff beforehand. <laughs> Lee Hadji Pantelis dresses like he's the bad guy in a 1930s. <laughs> he does the Untouchables. Lee Hadji Pantelis. By the way, I know it sounds like we're making fun, but luckily no one was seriously injured. Um, yesterday. Well, um, I've got it's just, coming, you know. it's coming, it's coming. Okay. That story is coming. Now, G, the rumor has it this week that you, after your complaint to council, they rewarded <laughs> yes. you, they rewarded you by planting a soiled mattress out the front of your house, which they then <laughs> refused to remove. That was something I um, was presented with as a welcome to the street when I moved in. <laughs> it took the council a while to take action. Oh, God, yeah. So it's um, thankfully God. For those of you that, that listen to this and go, how do I make this stuff up every week? I don't. I just ask G how his week went. It was a nice welcome to the neighbourhood present. Nice gift. Oh. All right, G, we've got a lot of news to get through and yep. only eight games of football. So given we've covered 600 games in the past in two hours, we should be able to do this relatively We quickly. should be okay. Yes, correct. I'm, I'm going to start with Saints. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, Saints, actually last week, but we missed it in time for the pod, ha- sacked two of their assistant coaches in Matt Head and Peter Gentle. Yes, um, I remember reading about Matt Head. Yep. Y- yep, and and Peter Gentle as well. And then this week they sacked James Graham, who, and he was said he was blindsided by it. Now, the interesting thing here is not that they sacked Anthony Griffin. It's that Anthony Griffin only has one year left of his contract. So which assistant coach is only is going to change jobs from another club for only a one-year contract? Because assistant coaches only get extended as far as the head coaches are. What is going on at Saints? I don't know. I, I don't know if it's Thanks, G. There. Thanks, G. No, what I mean is I feel... Do, I mean, do, you, reckon, like do you reckon Saints. you might have an opinion, though? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, Saints is... Saint, being Saints, right? They've kind of been run like a bit of a shambles for a fair period of time now. The only time it sort of went right was when they... They hit the jackpot and recruited Wayne Bennett. But outside of that, you'd have to say that they've sort of been all over the place. My opinion is it's silly because it sounds like they've got an issue with the direction the team's going with Anthony Griffin. But to get rid of all of his assistants, you're kind of saying yeah, Anthony you get Griffin rid of is everybody problem but anyway. The head coach, that's right. Like I don't get, I don't get. Like you're actually hampering him for next year. If you want to keep him for next year, getting rid of all his assistants and not being able to replace them is, is kind of a bonehead. But you're sabotaging next season as well. You are, and the, if they have an issue with the way Griffin is going or coaching and his philosophy, I mean, how is that ch- going to change within the assistant coaches? The assistant coaches are going to work under his vision and philosophy of play anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. What would that vision and philosophy of play be? 
don't make mistakes, run hard, tackle hard. I think he's from the Dean Pay School of Coaching, or Dean Pay's from Anthony Griffin School of Coaching. If you've got better talent than everybody else, you win. But if you don't, you're not getting um, any development and coaching ability to I, I, upgrade. I feel for the side. Saints fans. I don't know where this all ends up. Let, let's let's go to another. I piece do. Of news. Anthony Griffin being sacked next year. That's true. Let's let's go to another piece of news. Yeah. Now, there was a lot of furor about the three players that we mentioned last week that are transferring clubs before the transfer deadline. Yes. Norfoluma, Oliver Gilder, and Parramatta went after a couple of props. Now, in response to this, someone has sent an email to the Emperor, and the Emperor has said from next year he will be moving it back to 30th of June. Yes, I read that. Yes, Did in you? response. Now, now it, was yes. great, it was a great response from PVL, but doesn't he have any governance to go through to get that approved rather than rubber stamping it? Does he reach out to Waylon Abdo and says, make it happen? Yeah, whatever you think, Peter. Okay, great. Let's do this. That's, that's the discussion. Or maybe he talks to himself in the mirror and says, Peter, hello, Peter, head of the Racing Commission. What? Do you think this would be a good idea to implement in the NRL? Actually, Peter Valand is head of the NRL Commission. This would be fantastic. Okay, done. <laughs> he meets that's... with himself. And sometimes if he thinks so. he's got a conflict of interest, he gets the next nearest to meet with him, <laughs> which is... Which is Lee Hadjipantelis, who oh, this week this week had a meeting with Peter Van Peter Peter Volandis, the Emperor, and I can only think of a scene out of The Godfather where the two heads of the mafia are meeting over some spaghetti bolognese, and I think this is what this meeting would have gone by. <laughs> he wasn't wearing his outfit with the hat and the coat. He was. It wasn't. <laughs> he was. He it's was. like the NRL mafia meeting. Oh, my God, Mate, it's the best. It's the best. The PVL and. And Lee's not letting it go. He's not letting it go, poor West Tigers fan. This is going to carry on during the summer months. He's going to want his two points back even if after the final series is over. It's just crazy. Yeah, that's the it thing. Like, I, I agree with him being frustrated, but Lee, I don't think it's going to matter if you're fighting for the Tigers to come 15th. Just let so it go. Speak, speaking of conflicts of interest and lack thereof in the rugby course, league, yes. Manly's new CEO, who started the week after their Pride jersey furore. How's he's that for timing? Yeah, his new the new CEO is Tony Mestrov. Tony Mestrov used to play for Souths. He was also the CEO of Greyhound Racing New South Wales. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> this is just the thing of putting everyone you know into roles, isn't it? He didn't he didn't happen to just have spaghetti bolognese meeting with Peter Volandis, did he? Yeah, that was the first question they asked him. Tony, why have you got spaghetti sauce on your shirt? <laughs> Okay, Tony Mestrov. Well, good luck, Tony. That's all I can say. You can't fail. Nelson Asofa Solomona was cleared by the match review committee after dropping his elbow down. And then Luke Patton, the general, came out and gave one of the worst defences of a decision I've ever seen in my life. Did you follow any of this? (laughs) I didn't see this, no. He said there was separation between the arm and the elbow, meaning that it wasn't deliberate. Now, I dare you to watch that footage of Nelson Asofa Solomona and say that he didn't deserve to be suspended. Separation between the arm and the elbow. Like the, the arm and the player on the on the ground. So he said he had nowhere else to fall and... Except right on his face. Correct. Okay, sure. That, that makes total sense. <laughs> I said this would happen with the match okay. review committee before the season started, didn't I? They're changing the rules and it's going to be worse. It's, uh, look, he fell on him and Nelson Asofa Salomona fell on and he's... Arm of forearm went straight into his face. There were other places to fall, or at least even if he looked like he was trying like, to, like, like make, Campbelltown. Yeah, or you know, at least if he was looked like he was trying to move his arm away from that point of impact, at least as mitigating circumstances. But it looked like it was just yeah, I'll happy to fall right there on on the jaw. 
All right. It was it was, it was uh, a crazy week in the NRL, actually. It always is, though. All right, let's keep going. There was quite a f- another furor when the Emperor again was in the news after the suburban stadium funding was pulled. Yes, yes. So that it looks like Penrith Stadium's still going to go ahead, but Leichhardt, the Sharks, and what was the other one that was getting upgraded? It was uh, Cogra, wasn't it? Uh, four Point. Cogra? Uh, four, four Points. Four Points. Yeah. No, Four Points. Four Points are not getting the funding. Now, I've got a couple of comments on this. One, the fact that PVLs relied on a handshake and not a written agreement from the government. Yes. Two, the government should be spending money on the flood relief, not the stadiums. Hard to Correct. argue with. Yes, I think it's very hard to argue with. But Peter Villandis found a way to argue with that. <laughs> then he, he said it was low he blow, did. using yes. the floods as an excuse. You know, because, P- Peter, Peter, they actually happened. The floods actually did happen. <laughs> now, the other comment I've got to this is, wasn't the Sharks' home ground shut down for two years while they did an upgrade? Well, that's what I thought as well. So the upgrade just and now they're to saying be like... now they're saying it's so bad it can't host the semi final if they're in the top four. Can't host the semi final, nor can it have double headers. So they need the upgrade. The Sharks own the land; they built a brand new club on dude, it. Dude, 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 dude! You don't need a new stadium for the club to install better grass. <laughs> I think we need to get out the um, softleaf buffalo grass. Hard wearing. I'm blown away by the stadium stadium stuff. And then, and then, do you think it was a coincidence that that Leichhardt Oval railing collapsed, where no one got injured, and there was a meter and a half, and there was a big news on the news about it and all the rest of it? Have you ever tried to park at Leichhardt or get in and out or use the toilets there? Let it go, Tigers fans. Let it go. I mean, of all grounds for it to happen to. I mean, look, like I said, thankfully everyone's okay. I think there was a bit of timing on that. And and no one wanted to report that it was actually during a rugby game of Riverview versus Joey's, which got 15,000 there, oh, and the, the Tigers shooters. can't pull 15,000 at Leichhardt. This is what I mean. The Tigers can't get 15,000 at Leichhardt. The Sharks don't even fill up their stadium. I mean, why why should they you know, get hundreds or tens of millions of dollars in funding just for an upgrade when they are already uh, – I guess the standard of the stadiums is enough to host NRL games on a regular basis. They don't need tens of millions of dollars in extra funding for, for what? I mean, fill it out on a regular basis, then come with your argument. But this is the difference between amateur NRL politics and real politics, right? Dominic Perrottet and the New South Wales government completely outplayed PBL. Oh, yeah. So now he's he's left threatening to take away the grand final to Queensland. I mean – He's, if he gives the if he gives the grand final to Queensland, he's going to be run out of town. Oh yeah, he will be. Then then the media will sort of turn against him. But at the moment, I I can't disagree with the government's decision. But um, also sort of, it's quite been an amusing situation to be honest. It's the best, the NRL. If we were conspiracy theorists, we'd say that the um the timing at Leichhardt was perfect. But um, look, thankfully it was only about a meter and a half above and. I mean, broken bones are serious, but, you know, hopefully nothing serious has happened. If that was something higher up, it could have been a lot more Hey, guys, if the stadium is that bad that the railings are collapsing and people's lives are in danger and it's hard to park at and toilet facilities are bad and the government doesn't want to upgrade it, um, perhaps don't play the games there. It might be. The Tigers have got a difficult decision to make. Unless West actually says we fund everything, we're moving to West, to Campbelltown. So I don't know. But they won't do that. They're based out of Ashfield. Why would they do that? It's um, back to Lidcombe Oval, I think, T, out there in New Auburn. No, no, no. I think I think they'll just move to ANZ. Why don't they just move to ANZ? Or what's it called? Acor Stadium now. For the Tigers, that's actually literally almost still in their territory, really. Correct, correct. So anyway, it's interesting. All right, let's keep going. Peter Parr was appointed as football director from 
North Queensland at the Knights. And what a week he had as uh, first David Clemmer was stood down for not coming off when a trainer asked him to, Hayden Knowles. Um, the whole FEC and swearing at him and not coming off. And he stayed on the field for an extra two minutes. Oh, we better, better sack him, of course. Which was a massive offense. sackable offence. Um, and then to top things off, there was a racism row in the lower grades at Newcastle against a young Aboriginal player who was told to not play, and I quote, to not, no, I probably won't give the quote actually, but there was a racism row. You can Google it and look it up yourselves, allegedly. And then, as if that wasn't enough, Kanan Raja, who is the coach whisperer up there to Adam O'Brien, was released by Peter Parr as, as an attempt, it's been reported, to break Isaac Moses' influence up at the Knights. Oh, what Jesus. a week. This club, the Saints, this club, the Titans, West Tigers, we have some really poorly run clubs at the moment. And to be honest, the Bulldogs have been there and they look like they're sort of moving in a better direction. No, they're not. No, they're not. It's just that the footy's getting better. The footy's getting better. On fi- I'm, I'm not talking about on field, just in terms of some of the stuff that I was aware of. Like, they're, they're at least looking at a different direction. So, What did you think of David Clemmer? I thought it was ridiculous that they I, had I think it's just that is a, an excuse to get rid of him. Like, I mean, really, for two minutes and then it's a sackable offence. Well, the it's players crazy. came out and they strongly defended him, you know, like saying... Well, he didn't want to come off. And then the racism row. Like, this is the, the, the Knights have got a real cultural issue. I think so. I do. I think um, they've got to sort stuff out up there. They've been poorly run for a while. I mean, they had the Tinkler debacle and all that kind of stuff. And um, they got rid of Brian Smith, if you remember, I think, for... Was it Wayne Bennett? That's right. And he did very well up there. Yeah, and... <laughs> Um, he, one of his stops where he probably has erased it from his Wikipedia page so no one knows. Yes, he has, yeah. That's not good. I mean, to use that excuse that he said something to the trainer because in the heat of battle, he's still up there wanting to play an extra two minutes and then you sack him for that. I mean, well, that's, I think the, that's issue a, is, the issue with David Clemmer is that he um, he's very stats-driven, so he's very conscious of his run meters, hit-ups, all that sort of stuff. So I think there was a sense from Newcastle that he was putting himself ahead of the team. Uh, th- again, it was poorly articulated. They don't really defend. They don't really explain much. These clubs, do they? I mean, putting himself ahead of the team. It's not like he stayed out there for fifteen minutes. It was two minutes, and he probably thought he was playing well. I mean, that stuff happens during the course of a season. Is it really a sackable offence? Oh, no, come definitely on. not. Definitely not. And what about the racism, Rowgy? And Isaac Moses. The Isaac Moses thing I can sort of understand. What about Kane and Raja and the racism row? Uh, the racism row, I mean, look, I can't believe this stuff still happens. I mean, I can, but I can't as well, especially in a game like rugby league where most people on the field are relatively diverse people from, you know, Polynesians, people that are indigenous. Percent, 12% of the players are indigenous, as I understand it. Really? I mean, they're your teammates. You go, like, I mean, if that doesn't break down barriers, what does? I've spoken about this stuff before. You've got to go the education route and sort of, you know, teach these young kids and, and educate and give them some insight. So um, it's something they need to address regardless. I mean, they can't just let this go, sack David Clemmer because he wanted to play two extra minutes and, you know, do two extra run meters and make his VB hard-earned index. <laughs> Whatever is going to get on, get get on, on the Matty John show. show. Well, what you don't know, what you don't know is what's in these contracts. What what you don't know we is don't. what's in these contracts. Yes. Do the they sentence. have bonuses for certain things? And like, like, it's just the problem is these stories get leaked and you only get the tip of the iceberg. Yes, I agree. There, there is a lot of these things that do occur in terms of playing minutes and matches played, etc. 
because um, you know they usually leak out at later times when no one's the story's sort of already passed. But the Isaac Moses thing, if he's a problem up there, then I kind of you have to take action. You have to get control of the club as a club. You can't have the agent trying to run the club. No, 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 no. Unless it's unless it's um, Kalen Pong is that. Well, Kalen Pong is that is okay. He coached the women's team and the NRL team and Kalen Pong and everyone else. He he's an well, that, exception. He is an exception. Andre, he's an exceptional. We guy, love Andre him. Ponga. All right, let's keep going. There's a lot of player news to cover off as well. Ben Hunt is going to be an interesting one. The rumour is the Titans are going after him from 2024. But if Hunt re-signs with Saints, Jaden Sullivan looks like he's going to go to the Bulldogs to join a very young 5'8 who played extremely well in the Super League, which is Josh Reynolds. I mean, if you're the Titans, right, do they just think by purchasing any player that has a name that that makes their team win games? What does that mean for Toby Sexton? What does that mean for Toby Sexton, who last year was meant to be the... And before that, it was Ash Taylor. Then it was Tanner Boyd, then Ash Taylor, then Jamal Fogarty got a chance. So he's been out. And now all of a sudden, they want Kieran Foran and Ben Hunt, who are in their early to mid-30s. I mean... Look, Ben Hunt's played sensationally, but to give him a big contract when he's 34, 35 years old, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to solve the Titans' problems, to be quite Well, and what if, he, what if he re-signs with Saints and then you guys end up with Jaden Sullivan? I think Jaden Sullivan's a good player. I think Jock Madden's someone else. Look, I, Kyle Flanagan has looked a competent first grader since Mick Potter's come on board and let him actually play some football. Like you say, used his... I suppose, mechanical skills. And Kyle Flanagan has a go. He's defensively not great, but he has a go and throws his body on the line, unlike Braden Burns this weekend. But Jaden Sullivan's got far more talent, is more direct and more athletic and has a higher ceiling in terms of Flanagan. I would be happy with a Jaden Sullivan in the team. Well, okay, well, would you be as happy with the rumour that Josh Reynolds is going to re-sign for the Bulldogs? I love Josh Reynolds, but I don't see the point of re-signing him. What are you doing with him? Well, I don't know if you've watched him play in the Super League, but he's He hasn't been been very good, right? So I don't understand. Unless you want him there as part of the 30-man squad as an experienced campaigner that's helping to mentor some of the younger blokes, okay? But in terms of first grade, I don't see where he fits. So I I don't understand that signing unless there's more of the mentor slash transition into coaching thing behind it. Right, right, right. So the rumour is, let's, let's move on to coaching then. So yes. depending on which newspaper you read, will tell you where Madge Maguire is going to end up. So News Corp papers have said that he is going to be part of the dream team as Cam Sheraldo's assistant at the Bulldogs. They have reported it as a done, done, done deal. But if you listen to the Channel 9 Fairfax newspapers, it looks like he's going to Newcastle to help Adam O'Brien out. <laughs> I don't know. Vastly, vastly different. Different clubs, different coaches. It's like a three-hour drive between them. Look, I think Madge Maguire would be a good assistant coach. I think he would bring an intensity, but I think if you've got a Cam Serrano, that probably eases up the overall philosophy and the and the culture of the place, not as intense. He it's kind of like, you know, he's got the overall methodology, philosophy, or style of play, but Madge gives it that intensity at the assistant level to drill the players. I think that sometimes works a lot better. Like a Steve Kerr in basketball and some of his assistants that are more detail-orientated works quite well. Newcastle's a totally different thing. I don't think he fits in with Adam O'Brien because I think Adam O'Brien's stale there. I think the Knights are kind of 
they're not going anywhere from where they are at the moment with Adam O'Brien. Right. What a week. What a week for the Knights. Jesus. So if I if I, if we go on this pod two minutes longer to get our um, listeners up, do do we one of us get sacked? Well, we can only hope you get sacked given your performance this year. <laughs> let's let's go back to some player news. <laughs> yes. Thomas yep. Flegler looks like he's going to test the market from 1st of November this year. Guess which club he's been rumoured to be going to. Don't tell me he, he likes Chinese food too. He likes <laughs> Chinese serious? food, mate. Oh, my God. Look, I joke around about... We are seriously rivaling the early 2000s Roosters salary cap here. You guys are well past them. You guys are well past them. My God. My God. Anybody that comes off contract will like, hey, (laughs) you know what? Is Cliff Lyons still running around in the bush? That's right, him. Like, who cares? Brett Kenny, we saw you on the Matty John show. Can you still play? Oh, brilliant. Come on. Oh. God, seriously. I'll tell you what, you don't want a job at Dynasty Chinese Restaurant because you'll be working 24-7. No, you wouldn't. You've got plenty of staff. Well, that's It doesn't true. come yes, under the cap. <laughs> All right. They've got to pay overs because they're lacking. They have staff shortages. As Thomas Flegler goes, I think Parramatta could do worse than having him as a bench prop. I think he would be a good signing for Parramatta because he fits that Regan Campbell-Gillard mould where he's well, kind of tall and rangy. But he, as a prop, I don't think he's a good back rower. He's... No, I agree with that. I agree with that. Now, that brings me to an interesting article yes. Mike Mehal Wood wrote about the Eels, and he's done a lot of statistical analysis of, you know how we've said the Eels are rocks and diamonds? Yep. Yes. Well, he's done a lot of statistical analysis, and it just and the Eels props, the starting props, stay on the field more than any other props in the comp. And our yep. 17th man plays the least amount of minutes. And all the scores against us are when our starting props go off because the people we're bringing on, other than being hard runners, are nowhere near the calibre of our starting props. So it was a really interesting statistical analysis, which goes to show why Brad Arthur is looking for another prop to, to toughen up the middle. They, they just too reliant on Junior Paulo and Regan Campbell-Gillard. Oh, I think Regan Campbell-Gillard gives you that sort of agility and athleticism for a prop. I mean, there are better, but he has that in his game. And Junior Polo is just a skillful powerhouse that has amazing no, but they're, stamina. they're probably but... the best prop combination in the game, right? And, and They're very, very right? It's all black rowers. It's all black rowers. I mean, don't you address this at the start of the season, T, because like... Well, you, but no, but you might go, you might go, it might be the salary cap situation. You might be, I need, I need some of these, we think some of these younger props will come on and they don't. You know, like there's all sorts of stuff that can happen. But that that's, it was really interesting, really insightful. And I love his writing, Mike Meehallwood. And when you think about it, it all clicks in place. That's why they went after Marty Tapao. It's why they went after David Clemmer. And it's why they need another front rower. It means Brad Arthur doesn't have faith in these remaining props. Yeah, I think he, I think Brad Arthur, Brad Arthur, yeah, doesn't, I think he's he feels like he's got an issue through the middle. Because you know how you say, you know you say sometimes he doesn't change his game and stuff like that. This kind of speaks to that, right? Where he's got faith in just these two players. It doesn't vary too much away from that. He seems like he's that type of coach, I have to say. I think he's a good coach, uh, you, but what I mean Brad is... If Arthur's replacements, he's a 16-man player to coach. The 17th man doesn't get a lot of minutes, and which is why his son sometimes sits on the bench, etc. Is that part of the rocks and diamonds? That some of these players are half disengaged and all of a sudden it's like, hey, mate, we need you to go run out for 10 minutes. Or knowing that they're never going to get on the field. Or is it the fact that, you know, Junior Polo and Regan Campbell-Gillard conserve their energy because they know they're never coming off? Maybe, but I don't think so. I can't dismiss it out of hand, but I don't... Intuitively, that doesn't seem... Oh, it doesn't seem like an unhappy playing group to me. No, not not unhappy. I just yeah. think 
mentally, I think for some players, I think that would be difficult. Like if I'm Regan Campbell-Gillard and I've got to pay, play Which 70 minutes of the game, you're, I'm you're definitely bigger. not. I'm Todd Payton, more skill. You're Todd Payton and, and just on this pod, you, you we, we ask you to do anything at all and you refuse. That's right. I'm David Clemmer. And um, so... <laughs> Yeah, you refuse to come off. You are. You're David Clemmer. You kind of wonder if at times he is trying to conserve energy because mentally he knows he's got to be out there for 70 minutes and it's a tough gig. You get tired, right? So, uh, you know, I think sometimes they've probably got to rest some of these blokes. Like we've seen it with Josh Jackson. He was done in like a cook chook. But it's like he had this reputation as an 80-minute player and he would just be out there regardless and you can see him getting tired and he was just – he would never come off ever. It's I, I just think sometimes the coaches have got to manage what they see sometimes. I don't think they always do that. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, and they just go through their rotations, right? They sometimes. do. That's so, it. Yeah. yeah. So, look, let's... Speaking of props... Yes. It looks like Payne Haas might be able to get quite an extraordinary contract in European rugby. He would play the number eight position. Yep. But... Um, he may, he may not stay in league. I mean, that's probably something you want to think of. But if you're paying Haas and you get offered a two and a half, three million dollar a year contract, I mean, can you turn that down? No, no, I don't think so. You can't, right? And he would be dynamic in rugby as a number eight. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, think but I mean that power. Yeah. No, but that power, yeah. the stamina, and the athleticism at that size is even. It's unprecedented. All right, let's get on to the last three pieces of news. I'll leave my favourite two pieces. Of yes, news for last. Andrew McCulloch looks like he's got one year to go on the Saints contract when he'll be yep. 637, but he's writing he on the yes. wall, and he might be. retire a season early. He's one of your favourites. I think he's been undervalued for a long time in terms of the way he used to play. He was he was brilliant, I thought, for the Broncos. But even we could see, remember last year we were talking about him, he didn't, you could kind of see just his body wasn't quite up to it anymore. And I think McCulloch's that type of player where he knows and the fact that he's thinking about retiring early, it's kind of his way of saying, hey, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm just the body's not up to it. He's had a lot of serious injuries too, McCulloch. Well, so. it's, it's, actually, it's actually two seasons too far for him. Yeah, and he's never been a guy that was great because he was athletic, and his athletic now has gone back to normal. He was always very skillful and smart. And, I mean, once you lose any athleticism you have, you start to fall behind. Do you want to tell our listeners about your athletic performance in goals on Sunday? Oh, it was ma- magical. My reflexes are still there, provided the ball is kicked within a five-centimetre radius. But outside of that, I think um, age has a way of reigning in our athleticism. Well, you did amazingly well. For those of you who that play football with G, um, tell us if he did that as well as he thinks he did on, on Sunday. Last two pieces of news. The furor around the hip drop tackle with Andrew John saying people should get yep. minimum of 12 weeks, etc., etc., and Brandy Alexander came out and said, rather uncontroversially, I thought, that uh, a lot of these tackling techniques have emanated out of Melbourne. And then Cam Smith gave a spirited defence of the Melbourne Storm, even though Cam Smith and Brandy are actually mates and are on the same radio show. Fair enough. Now, I think that's good. It's, and, and I listened to them this morning on radio, and they, 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 they had a very civilised debate. But then the the... CEO of Melbourne Storm came out and absolutely laid into Brandy and Brandy returned serve how he's just a clickbait journalist, etc, etc. Hey, Melbourne Storm, Cam Smith and Tripp, I've got news for you. This stuff did emanate out of the Melbourne Storm. It did emanate out of the Melbourne Storm. They were the pioneers, you could say. I mean, not pioneers of slowing the play the ball down. That's always been in the game, but more the pioneers of using sort of jujitsu techniques and stuff to do it, which the, the... the sophistication of slowing the play the ball down has emanated from Melbourne. If you watch the old games, it's more like the extra man flop or just pushing someone back down again. Not 
grabbing ease and chokeholds and all sorts of jujitsu moves to sort of no, see, paralyze joints and stuff. Don't get me wrong. I don't think Melbourne Storm practice. I don't think they practice hip drop tackles. I think no, they don't. They just, don't. Just they're taught to use wrestling techniques to slow the play of the ball down. And if and if, and if the body is in a certain position, these tackles happen. They're not trained to do hip drops. They're not trained to do chicken wings. But it just emanates from having so much emphasis on the wrestle. And there's no doubt that the Melbourne Storm changed the game with their emphasis on the ruck. In rugby union, it's called the dark arts of the ruck and the mall. Um, and it's and it's going the same way in rugby league. Look, I agree with that. They're told basically to slow the play of the ball down, bring the person to the floor because it slows the play of the ball down even more. So they use, like you said, judo techniques and stuff to get them over. I think it's very dangerous because I think a lot of these tackles are entirely accidental. I think some of them are very clearly a hip drop type of tackle. But a lot of them aren't. They kind of end up where the person's just trying to pull the guy down. I wouldn't say there's a technique involved other than grab and try to pull them down to the ground. You can't outlaw that because that's tackling. Well, I no, I disagree. I think you can drop the hip drop and some of that stuff. I, 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 think, I think some, yes, but I think it's the hard. The third man in, the third man in where all they're trying to do is get him to ground, you know, I think that, I think that can be refereed out of the game. You have to wait and see, but I think it's a difficult thing to try and um, get out of the game. It's not easy. Either way, someone should email Peter Volandis, and I'm sure he'll respond to it. <laughs> All right, and the last the last piece of news was maybe the biggest piece of news, and Newcastle and Manly are grateful for this. Jamin Salmon, he got put on report yes. during the game. Yes. During, during was that the for, was that for humping Tom Starling's leg? Well, it wasn't humping, but he actually kicked out and hit him in the jaw if you watch it. Yes, yes, I did. And then Ricky Stewart in the most extraordinary attack came out after the game and called him a weak gutted dog. Now, Corey Parker and um, Cooper Cronk came out about this after the game, straight on, straight away on the Fox panel, saying there's a power imbalance and that should never happen. I actually agree with that. But I, I agree think with what that. you'll find, I think what you'll find is there's a lot more to this story. Yes, there is. Now, there is a lot more to this story. There was an incident allegedly in 2010 in the under-12s. It didn't directly affect Ricky, but it affected, it had to do with his kids, as I understand it. So I think there's quite a bit of history between the Stewarts and the Jamin Salmons, and, and the dad in him came out. Having said that, he is a grown man, and he shouldn't be doing that after the game. What did you think about this one? Oh, well, my thoughts on that, I think the power imbalance comment is a good one. Jamin Salmon's a young player. He's trying to find his way in the league. And I think Ricky, as let's just say, I mean, he's an, uh, an elder statesman of the game now. He's been a coach for almost 20 years. 20-odd 20 years. So, yeah, 20-odd years. I mean, yeah, he, he started coaching lower grades at the Dogs in early 2000 and then obviously became the head coach of the Roosters. So he's been coaching for a long time, Ricky. Without knowing what happened in the background, we have that experience. He can't put that label on that kid you know, from his position. And there's obviously an issue between the families or something's happened. Um, so there might be, it might be quite an emotional topic. So you can understand his reaction, but it's not something he can, it's not an excuse for doing that and putting a label on Jamin Salmon like that in the press conference. I think he shouldn't have said it. He should apologise. Probably should reach out to Jamin Salmon. He has apologised and he didn't apologise to Jamin Salmon. He apologised to Jamin Salmon's family. You know, I think as long as they can both talk, discuss it and let it go, but that's it. But I think the power and balance comment's probably the best one. It was best not to say anything. I don't anything. think there's any chance of them talking. Doesn't sound like it, but I think it was best that he, he just didn't say anything. All right, let's move on to the round 21 results, shall we, G? Yes, we should. All right. Now, first up was the Roosters versus the Broncos. And the Roosters put yep. in a very, very good performance to win, to overcome the Broncos 34-16. to 16. 
if anything, I think this scoreline was flattering to the Broncos. It was six I tries thought this for game was very one sided. Very one sided. It was they scored three tries in the first fifteen minutes. It was eighteen four at half time, and then the game kind of it was closer in the second half, but the game kind of petered out. The Roosters won the second half, sixteen to twelve. Now I want to make a couple of um couple of points about this game. One yep. is um the actual Broncos left edge, the side where they attacked through Nap Butcher got two tries through there. So the Roosters right edge absolutely decimated the Broncos left edge and actually switching Sam Walker and Luke Keary, Sam Walker to the right and Luke Keary to his preferred left-hand side position made a big bloody difference. So um, I think this was a coaching masterclass from Trent Robinson and James Tedesco is just having a wow of us. Just the last few weeks, he's been just playing out of his skin. This game here, the Roosters are pretty much at full strength in terms of what they're going to have going through to the end of the season. I think the combo between Sam Walker and Luke Keery starting to get more settled. Luke Keery's more settled. He's, he hasn't played that much this year. It's, he's back from a long-term injury. And I think the Roosters just came out. They, played, they were playing at a different speed. They were on fire and just the passing in tight spaces to score their first try. The next one was Crichton hitting the ball from so far deep that Paul... Angus Crichton and James Tedesco are both playing so well at the moment. Yeah, and poor Adam Reynolds, he tackled him. Great tackle, but he just he hit the ball too hard and just powered through and scored. And then it was 18-0, like literally the first 20 minutes, and they're on a different planet. And I think like... You mentioned the Broncos sort of, you know, found a way back in the game, but they were never really in it. The Roosters were always in control. I think they were a different speed. An impressive thing for me was the way their forwards. Matt Lodge has been a good signing to help them. Good you know, sign. Can I say something forward. about the Broncos? I think that look, they'll win this week because they're up against the Knights at home. But I think this has been a great season for Kevy. But I think this is as far as they go. I think so. I think now you're starting to see, okay, it's been a massive improvement and the level's slowly rising. I'm not sure they can go with it. The one comment I have about the Broncos is I'm not sure why Tamari Martin hasn't gone straight back into that team. I thought they played in cleaner, straighter lines and it was easier for players to know their roles or where to I stand. I actually agree with that. Tessie you know, he's, he's very ad-lib and it's thrown him out. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that 100%. And not only that, I think Tamari Martin does a better job organising the defence. He does, and his passings, he's, he's a lot more better passing the football as well, and I think that's brought their attack back a little bit. Although I will say about Tessie New, is he looks like he's bulked up a lot, which I don't understand. And Jesus, Joseph Suwali, hey, oh. he gets better and better. Well, ru- like, rugby's honestly. going after him. They're talking about him being a fullback, but the problem is, like, that's the, and this leads me to the other point, Joey Manu was less effective back in the centres. Um doesn't touch the ball as much. Doesn't touch the ball as much, right? They got they got yeah. a, they got a real um, plethora of options there, don't they? They do, but I thought the Roosters were impressive, and it looks like the Roosters are starting to find some form heading to the semis. I think if they don't have any more key injuries, they're looking pretty sharp. I agree, but can, yeah, they, and they got the Cowboys this week, and I just think the Roosters are. The Roosters are a smoky for me for the comp. They're really coming good at the right time. Absolutely. So it'll be interesting to see how they go against the Cowboys, who you could say are the best of the rest at the moment. That's right. All right, let's move on to the next game, which is the Storm versus the Titans. Now, the Storm won this comfortably, but unlike the Roosters where the Broncos game flattered the Broncos, I think this one actually flattered the Storm. Cam Munster put in an absolutely amazing performance in this game. But, and, and I know it was... I know it was 22-10 at half time, but the Titans hung in there. They they clearly just want to complete sets. They didn't really throw a lot at them attack-wise, but it still didn't strike me as a 
amazing storm performance. Do you know what I mean? So yes, I do. Absolutely. absolutely, Cam Munster was absolutely superb. Watching this game, I think it was good to get Coates back. The move to Munster at fullback helped, but the storm is still quite slow now, and you can see that they're using a lot of short passing and running directly and running in numbers to supplement their lack of speed. They struggled to break down the Titans' defence, but the Titans' defence at times is so poor that they scored some really easy tries just through well, pressure Cam, alone. Cam Munster got a hat-trick, and you got to remember, Cam Munster started out as a fullback. He was superb. He actually came out in the Matty Johns show, and he said he actually prefers playing fullback, and I actually think it might have been Cooper Johns' best game in first grade as well. Yeah, I think I think they held the fort and they did enough. They were always in control for me. The Titans did come back to make it 16-10 because the Titans are like that, but did I ever as soon as that happened, then Munster got the ball and just went through But it was against the run of play. It was against the run of play, right? Yeah, the Storm were dominant. I think possession-wise, territory-wise, but like you say it wasn't as impressive as it looked. Um a shout out to young Totemapea, he's back. With a beard now back. to add to that fabulous moustache from a few years and ago. He's, and he's and he a scored beast. a try right at the end. He's a beast he's, of a player. He's an absolute beast of a player. The only comment I do have is, I don't know what Corey Thompson's done to Justin Holbrook. Because whenever he plays, the Titans attack looks better. It's a little bit more skillful, but he never's in the team. And then you watch what happens on the field and you're like, don't get it. it depends, depends what you value. So Corey Thompson's quite short for a winger. He is, yes. And he's not as powerful as some of these bigger guys. Yeah, and I think Justin Holbrook's just saying, I don't get enough meterage out of him. Uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think he gets bombed on a bit, right? He does. Um, but but his actual gameplay is quite good. Yeah, and he's smart and he's always in the right position, which I think the Titans could use a lot more. But regardless, Storm totally in control of this game, but they won. But yeah, like you say, T, was it overly impressive? No, but they, they won. They were you know, always in control. Well, they've won a few of their, they've won back to back now again. And I, hopefully this is a s- sign of them just getting better. They got a real test against the Panthers at Penrith this Thursday night though. So we'll see how that goes. Next up was a game was, which was, which was just the Friday night game on channel nine. It was the Sea Eagles versus the Eels at Four Pines. Um, now I want to say something about this game. Now this was a topsy-turvy game, right? We got off to the perfect start with two tries to Mike Acevo. And then 10 minutes later, the Sea Eagles hit back with two tries of their own. And they actually took the lead because Clint Gutherson is the world's worst goal kicker. And, and he actually, he only kicked four from seven on the night, actually. So, um, and, and, and took one of the world's worst field goals right at the end of the game. So just, just a horrible kicking performance from Clint Gutherson. But the Manly Sea Eagles took the lead. And at that point, I thought, I think the Sea Eagles are going to win this, right? So the, the Sea Eagles then, after their two tries, actually led 14-10, 14-8 actually, before Tom Opacic scored to make it 14 all at half time. And then you had that play right at the death of the first half where Wonga Blake went to kick it and it was just, I was ready to punch my TV screen. Um, it's 14 yeah. all at half time, evenly placed. The Eels actually had a, the wind behind them the first half. So then I thought, oh, Manly's going to come over them in the second half. And... They did score first in the second half through Christian Tuapulotu yeah. um, to extend their lead to 20-14. to 14. And then in the last 25 minutes, the Eels just went bang, 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 scored four tries, and this is what they can do to teams, and extended the lead to make it 36-20. to 20. 
Now, in the end, it was seven tries to three. So we killed them, and it was poor goal kicking that kept them in there. But that's not the flow of the game up until that last 20 minutes, as Jake said. You know, the Sea Eagles were there or thereabouts, right? I Absolutely. I didn't think the scoreline resulted in a flogging. I just want to call out a couple of people, right? Dylan Brown just been playing. Has he been the form 5-8 behind Cam Munster? He's probably been the second best 5-8 in the comp this year. I'd have to think about it, but I would say he'd be really close to it because his games come together. All Like and he's Jake running, Arthur, he's defensively superb. Jake Arthur had a good game. Great game, great game. And after all the criticism he's copped from the Eels fans, I'm, I'm really glad he did so. So that was a really important win. The Eels have now won four out of their last five games. But the highlight of this game for me was the press conference afterwards. Did you hear about this? No. What happened? So they went in to do the press conference, the journos did, and in the middle of the table was a positive COVID test that someone had left behind. <laughs> so after shutting down the comp for two years, they weren't allowed to go anywhere. The Dragons weren't even allowed to have a barbecue with each other. And now we've just got a positive rat test. A just complete shambles. <laughs> they, they don't, know, they don't know who it belongs to. They had to move the press conference outside. Para didn't provide players, so they didn't get it. What about if all the videos? That joke, it was an absolute <laughs> cracker, but that was my highlight. That just explains rugby league in a nutshell. I suppose now that we're further away from things, it probably would be great that it's a, a practical joke you'd probably laugh at a little bit, but it's probably not funny historically. But fabulous story. In terms of the game, it ebbed and flowed. Uh, the Eels came out quick. Sivo's kind of back to his barnstorming best, I think, the last few weeks, not just because he's scoring tries. No, no, no. He's good with ball in hand. He is very weak defensively. Yeah, but that's Sivo, right? But at least you're yeah. getting the offensive side now as well, where he's steamrolling guys. He, he feels like he's, you can see him stride out when he's got the ball. I mean, I thought he finished the first try well, and the second try off a lucky kick, he straight away and scored, which was great. So they got off to a great start. And then it just flipped. I thought Parra way on top, and then all of a sudden Manly... Everything just switched switch the other way. And I thought Manly could have run up four or five tries in the back end of that 20 minutes. They scored one. They scored another. Cherry Evans missed a pass off a bomb. What swung the game was that I think put Wonga down Bakes by tried. Wonga Blake's put down. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, and, and as you know, G, I've been his biggest fan over the years. You are, you are his biggest fan. So I'm a lot more of a fan than you. But I thought Manly, they came back at Dylan Brown's hustle to get back when um, Saar put the kick through. They were going to score again. It was going to be 20 to 8 all of a sudden. Well, he came from the other side of the field. He came other side, from of the the other field. side of the field. And what about when he and Gutho left, left Ruben Garrick for dead with his speed? Yeah, I'm going to talk about that, right? Like, the, the, the desperation kept the Eels in the game. Like, I know you defensively, I think they're poor, but they, they are enthusiastic when they scramble. Right, and it can keep they it in are games that sometimes. Poor, despite remember, remember you were saying you were saying their defense is really good this season. You were wrong. Okay, defensively they were caught out. They were all over the place, but their scramble kept the score down. Right, like that Dylan Brown play. There was no right for him to come all that way and just get there ahead of um, Gary. I think it was, and it kept them in the game. Then Opachi chipped back through a play that they've really, I think, started to focus on. Allowed Sean Lay in the last few weeks probably a couple of months to really go for that offload and have people looking for it. A bit of old school 90s footy, early 2000s, where you've got your prop, someone's always trading them looking for the offload and to break away from that play. And I think it worked wonders in this game. So it's a great try to keep it. But when Manly came out in the second half and scored, I thought, oh, Parra might fall away again. Manly hit the lead. They should have scored again. Morgan Harper bombed a certain try by fumbling that ball. He should have got to that first. And I, I thought Manly's well on top. And then Wonga Blake, amazing take. 
at full height. He is six foot three or four. And then to put that down, that was an amazing put down. And once he scored that, the Eels just – it just changed the momentum and the Eels clicked into a different gear. And then Gutho again off another Sean Lane um, offload, left Ruben Garrick standing still. And I don't know how because Gutho is not that fast. And like I told you, you change speed from fast to – or slow to a little bit less slow. But went straight around Ruben Garrick like it wasn't there. And then Dylan Brown, just power, footwork and the pace and step – he he just streaked away. I mean, that's why he's running so important. He's so dangerous. And it ended up being a comfortable victory and a great kick from Jacob Arthur, very composed, to put on Penasini away. And once that lead got out to eight, Manly were done, I think. They had nothing yeah, they left in the last from there. Minutes, that's right. Yeah. But good win from the Eels. But I think that does it for Manly's eight chances too. There's only four games left. They're, they're going to struggle. But Para needed that win. I think they had a, a, a little bit... They, you know, created a mountain for themselves during that game, but they fought back, got back in the game, and then you know ran away with it at the end. And I think this will—it's a good, good game for them to have prior to the semis. It was a good win, keeps them in touch with the top four, which is important. I agree with that. All right, let's move on to the Saturday, yeah. Super Saturday games. Um, first up, it was Souths versus the Warriors. This was a replay from Magic Round. Similar type of similar type of game without the Warriors comeback, basically coming Souths back, came yeah. out and just completely torched. The New Zealand yeah. Warriors in the Jesus. first half. It was, th- it was thirty-six to six at halftime, and this this game was, I mean, effectively over over the, in the first half. I mean, it was just men against boys. They scored six tries in the first half. Latrell Mitchell had a great day. Just and Cam Murray was the best player on the field by a lot, long shot, and he only played sixty-six minutes. Just a superb performance for the Warriors, mate. They need something. They have been terrible for a long time now. I don't have anything more to add. Like they they absolutely hammered them. Absolutely they killed them. Hammered them. For Souths, I think the positive signs was Cam Murray involving himself in running and playmaking a bit more on the fringe, especially with offloads, not just passes. And they played off that, and I thought Souths were just on a different level altogether. And Murray set up the first couple of tries to Cook and then to Tola. And Colin Matungi kept up his good form this season by steamrolling um, a couple of the Warriors players. Yeah, I thought, the, I thought the back row, I thought the whole back row of Souths, Coloma, was very dynamic. Very good. They had not good nine mix. offloads between them. Cam Murray yeah. had three try assists, as you mentioned. Like they, they were just, they were just, and and Latrell when he wants to play, like he is brilliant. They do. They've got a good mix. T. I think Colin Matungi is the powerful guy. Arrow is quite mobile and t- plays tight. And Murray is mobile and quick on the fringe. And I think, and the other good thing is Ilias. I know the Warriors were poor, but you can see. Him He's not scared to challenge a line and impose himself on the game. Like, he's a lot more attacking than he was earlier in the year. I think he's better than people give him credit for. He's just learning in first grade. Yeah, and I think he's playing quite well. It goes back to that Jacob Arthur point. The kid's 20. What are you expecting they're from just, they're, just, they're just learning in first grade. That's the issue. You know? Um, but easy win, a poor performance. I mean, 36-6 at half time. And Latrell, when he scored, just basically ambled through three or four defenders. And it was just way too easy. I will give one little shout-out. The two glimpses of highlights for the Warriors out of this whole game, if there were any, was Dallin Wateliak chasing down Alex Johnson when the game was over already and actually stopping a try. I think he's been their bright spot. I think think Dallin Wateliak on the wing has been a hit. Like, it's a good attitude and great desire, especially with the other 36 I think he's been quite good on the wing. He has. He's been pretty good. I think if the he's team was better, he would stand out more. He's, he's no, he's not, not a fullback. Back, yeah. And a little bit of the old school Sean Johnson magic, but Jesus, that's been missing for the whole year. I mean, where is it? 
just poor. The Warriors were terrible. Well, and apparently he had a heart-to-heart with, with Andrew Webster, who's coming in as the head coach next year that, during the week. And Andrew Webster said he'll see out his contract. But um, I think that'll be the end. I think he'll either go to Super League or retire after that. I think yeah. next year will be uh, the last we see. Of- something's not right, whatever it is. Attitude, mental injuries, not sure. But um, it's sort of sad to see his spark on. But the Warriors were pathetic, honestly. They should have – South should have could have put 60 – Plus on them, yes. Yeah, yeah, they could have. They could have. They absolutely. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the second game of Super Saturday. And I thought this was going to be a really, really close game. It was down at in Canberra. It was in the nation's capital. And the, the, the Canberra Raiders got off to the perfect start with Josh Papali scoring first. But yeah, it was for the rest of the 72 minutes, it was all the Panthers. The Panthers, just their forwards... And their speed of their defence defence is just unbelievable, right? So just just a superb, superb performance. And I'll tell you the other person who's had a great season that's flying under the radar at the moment is Dylan Edwards. He's not a magical ball player, but he's a great runner of the ball. And I thought he had a great game. He did. He did. I have been, I wouldn't say critical. I just always thought he was always somewhat replaceable, if that makes sense. No, but I'm the one who said to, he, he, T plays an important role in that team. You're right. And T, the last year and this year, I think he's actually stepped up even more. And now in attack, he's actually a vital component. He's always following the ball. He's always looking to ball play. He's actually supporting and scoring a lot more tries on length of the field breaks. Which, I mean, granted, he was actually a kid, so you're probably expecting a bit too much, but his game's evolved, and he's gotten a lot better, and I thought he was sensational against the Raiders. But the Raiders, mate, I mean, what do you say? In in a game like that, where they start off dominating the game, they get a try through Papali'i, they need it to sort of consolidate their form in the semifinals, and they just let Api Corusau stroll through four people under the post with no yeah. magic play, just basically... It's not like he charged hard. He was just brushed them aside so easily. With with Nathan Cleary and Jerome Luai out, the, what their line speed gives them is because their defense is so good. They actually don't have to put on that many points. No. And and they really they really targeted the Raiders' left edge, and they made meters up there the whole game. They really killed them down that side. I suppose Penrith. Once that happened, the momentum totally switched towards the Panthers, and then you had Sullivan found Crichton for to put them up twelve six. Mate, that was it. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the Raiders, I expected more. They dominated the ball, but they just had nothing to challenge the Penrith defence and that line speed. They just tried the same stuff over and over, and it just wasn't good enough. And they needed to do something different, and they couldn't come up with the magic needed. I do think they missed Xavier Savage because at least he added that explosive speed somewhere, and it made it a little bit easier for the Panthers' defence. But the Panthers will ended up winning easily without even dominating the ball, really. Yeah, 26 to 6. I just thought, geez, what an impressive performance. They got the storm this week at home. I know they don't have Jerome Luai and Nathan Cleary, but off the back of that performance, it's hard. It's going to be hard to tip It's hard not to pick them, right? Because now they're more confident. Salmon is a good player. He always has been. He's a bo- he's a good ball player and a, he's a tallish kid as well. So he's well, not he's small. Quick he's not too. terrible in defence. He's, he's got some pace. The good thing is with Kotrick, tried to take Dylan Hedwood's Edwards' head off, which was great. <laughs> and then they scored a great try, the Pen- Penrith, and I think that's the play that killed the game off from there because it, it stretched the lead out too far and the Raiders just didn't have anything to come back. But it did get chippy in the second half that game. There was a lot of, like, 
you know, yeah. running. Well, the teams and... hate each other. The, the teams <laughs> yeah, hate each other. you could kind of see remember, it. It was remember when Stephen Crichton pulled Joey Tarpanay into the celebration a couple of seasons ago, and it's been the Canberra Raiders actually came out before this game and said we're going to set up an ambush for the Panthers. Well, I got news for them. The Panthers actually ambushed them at home. Well, I don't know where that ambush was. I mean, I know Bruce Stadium's kind of on the fringe of the bush in Canberra, so they must have left it outside the stadium because it wasn't there. Or left it at the defense, the defense Department of Defense. It was um, poor, poor performance in a game they had to win to try and. They had to win. I think they're the out of the race as well. At home, they're a bit like as well. Manly. Yeah, I think Manly and the Raiders are out of the race anyway. Um, let's. Keep going. The last game on Super Saturday was the local derby between the Sharks and the Dragons. Yes. The Sharks got up over the Dragons 24-18. But this was a tight game. This was a really, really tight game. The Sharks opened the scoring only three minutes into the game when Nico Hines strolled over from close range. Um, the Dragons did hit back in the ninth minute when a Ben Hunt bomb was spilled by Ronaldo Mulatalo and Jack DeBellin picked up the scraps to score. And then the controversial moment in the game, which I thought was a send-off. We watched this together, but you didn't. The Dragons went down to 12 men uh, with, with Tarek Sims being sin-binned for 10 minutes. I thought it was a send-offable offence with his hit on Connor Tracy. He's now played his last game for the Dragons because he's accepted a four-match suspension off the back of that. Yeah. But the Sharks did have a try ruled out shortly thereafter to Ronaldo Mulatalo. Um, yeah, after a pass which was from Wayne Graham was ruled forward, yeah. It took the, the Sharks just four minutes to make amends. Because um, they, they were, they were, this first half, the, kind of the, the score was close, but the Sharks kind of dominated the, the, the backwards and forwards of this game. When Braden Trindle just basically went through some really poor defence of DeBellin and Talatau Mone with an old-fashioned show-and-go uh, to make it 12-6. Braden Trindle then laid on another try to Teague Wilson yeah. with a sweet pass close to the line. Um, the Sharks then went down to 12 men when Blake, Blake Braley was sin-binned on the stroke of half-time. And the Dragons actually scored after the mate break to make it 18-12. Then um, when Matt Fagai finished off the lead-up work by Ben Hunt and Jack Bird in the 55th minute, uh, the Dragons were back to 18-16 and then yes. it got tight. It got yep. really tight at that point. And actually, for the last 25 minutes, I thought the Dragons were actually the better side. Now, the Sharks ended up getting a try through Wade Graham during that period. They basically extended the scoreline out to 20 yeah. 16. That gave them some breathing space. But after that, those last 15 minutes, the Dragons just kept coming, kept coming. They, they Interestingly enough, they took a two-point penalty goal with three minutes to yep. go when they were right on the line. If I was them, I would have gone for the try because you're giving up field position. You've got to go 90 metres to get that try. So that was an interesting decision. But a close game. Sharks, are, these are the types of games the Sharks are playing. Yeah, I was going to, you know, I think they're missing Will Kennedy at the back and they're missing um, that thrust from the back. It was good to see Adam Dykes' son make his first great debut. Who we used we, to we didn't have any third-generation players at the same club and then Zach Fulton happened and then Dykes made it th two and two weeks. Um, Adam Dykes obviously played for Para as well. He was a complete fitness nut. Good player. I think the Sharks started off quick. Hines was running at the ball, but they were missing Moylan's thrust in the middle and his support play as well. I, I think thrust um, or thrush? I'm not sure. Maybe that's why Matt Moylan's out. I don't know. But if he's got – they missed his thrust, but if he has got thrush, natural yogurt apparently is a great remedy for that type of thing. You know, and I thought Saints, you know, it was a bit more of a cautious game with Bird and a buyer at fullback. Bird in the centres, they didn't quite have the speed, line speed in attack to come at the, at the Sharks' defence. And I think he was quite a pedestrian first half, but it was all down to Braden Trindle. Basically scored one, 
almost set up the Mulatalo trial with a great pass and a shimmy to put Wade Graham through, and then also setting up Teague Wilton with a great softball through the gap. So I thought the Sharks, they were on top by that time. I thought they are going to run away with the game, but the second half flipped on its head. Like you, I thought the Dragons were going to come home and win that game. Here's the thing with young players. This is another young player who you've got to have patience with, Terrell Sloan. His speed and ability to... I suppose you have to watch him when he's running. His speed created a bit of space for the outside backs for Fiangi to score. But then he was the one when it was 18-16 that then dropped the bomb under pressure and the ball bounced everywhere like a pinball. Couldn't quite get it back. And then Wade Graham scored for the Sharks and put them over. I thought that's it. The Dragons would fall away. But credit to the Dragons. They came back and they were very unlucky not to win the game. But the Sharks, I don't know, their attack's not working as well they're like you say they're in a lot of tight games and the defense is keeping them in the games but they're not doing as much with their possession as they were earlier in the year probably yeah, due they're not to blowing teams away yeah it's funny funny they, they keep winning though they keep winning and they've just about guaranteed a top four spot now i reckon that's right one question for you do you think that that's part of it and they're also knuckling down for these tighter games in the semis or do you think that because they're trying to solidify a top four place they put more pressure on themselves so they're playing a little bit more conservative no i think I, I saw an interview with craig fitzgibbon and he said we're still getting to know each other and how we want to play and what our brand of footy is and we're just trying to find ways to win and that's what they're doing they're finding ways to win right that perfectly that funny enough that comment sums up the sharks and the way they're playing at the moment so yeah good much needed win for top four but dragons oh couldn't they've missed their chance i think to get in the eight now uh, I think that's right, and I feel for the Dragons supporters because they've got Anthony Griffin on his own with no assistant coaches next year. Yeah, <laughs> no one's going to come with him. They're going to go back to training twice a week and at the pub. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Shitty Sunday, where I'm actually, both games were, in fact, shitty, um, where I will hand over the reins to you. For the mighty so Bulldogs. Up, for the, well, I mean, you say that. It was the Dogs versus the Cowboys. They took the game up to Bundaberg. It was 28-14 to the Cowboys. But really, the Cowboys only ran over them at the end. There were some really dodgy decisions both ways in this game. And the Dogs were right in this. Up, In fact, for the first 50 minutes, they were probably the better side. But the last... Ran out of puff. That they just ran out of fitness. And this has been happening to the Dogs a little bit. And then the Cowboys just came over the top of them. Yes, they did. They just ran over. This happened in the South game where they just ran out of puff. And it's happened in a few games where the middle starts to get very loose because they're just tired and they their defence doesn't move as well anymore. It doesn't move in sync and they can get run over. Now under Potter, they're playing a lot better. So it's costing them games. Whereas before, it was just, you know, stopping floggings or whatever it was. But I know for a fact that some of the players through sources, commented that this was the easiest preseason they'd had. I don't know which ones or where they'd come from, but some of yeah. the newer arrivals thought that this was the easiest preseason they'd had in years, and I think you've seen that out in the field. The commitment was there. I think the football's there. The fact that they were... Matt Burton, Matt Burton played really well and continued his great form. He's back to running the football. The foot race between Josh Adokar and um, the Hammer was sensational. The Hammer did yes. easily. Yeah, the Hammer's... He's got his other gears at some of the other plays, Toad, I think. That's right. Um, I thought Kyle Flanagan was serviceable. That might be his best game for he the did. Dogs so far. Yeah, I think he played really well. I think defensively that side got caught out and got targeted by the Cowboys all game. Him. Well, I think the difference in the teams, the difference in the teams for me was Scotty Drinkwater. Just he had he had he had one of those games, yeah. Yes, Braden Burns defensively was very poor, and I think next to Flanagan, you've got to have a really solid defensive centre. He was all over the place, Braden Burns, and I thought it was great. We took a, a good lead. Burton scored a great try. I think the first one was Peter Hick, who didn't realise that a car was that fast and would sneak in that quick. The second one was just great footy. Like, 
passing, fading to pass, and just using his power and speed to run, which is great. And then the Cowboys hit back quickly at the end. I think the Bulldogs tied at the back end of the second half and they finished on top of them. We hit the lead. It was a great try by Karaz, great take, good play to Flanagan backing up. But T, once Leilua started to, we got tired, Leilua and Drinkwater started to hit the line at speed and on the fringes and we couldn't couldn't keep them out. And I think they ran away with it at the end, but really it was only the last 12 minutes we were ahead by then. So a good performance for, as a Dogs fan to see that because the Cowboys have been really good this year. And the Cowboys, I don't know if they, they didn't play that great. They didn't play poorly, but they were too good and still won the game. So I think that shows the level that they're at now. Good win, but Luciano Leilua's, he could be an X factor in the semis. As a, well, he slotted in, right? He slotted in. Yeah, he slotted right in. And the, I guess the only takeaway is Hekanai. Um, Hekanai, God, he's played for the Bulldogs. Nanai didn't score a try, so we've done something that just about no one else. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, that's right. weeks. All right. Let, good game. Not really. All right, let's move on to what was a diabolical game to finish off the oh, round. This was a terrible game. It was. Terrible game. <laughs> the the Tigers were disgraceful in the first half and the Knights were disgraceful in the second half. And the second half was about which team didn't want to win, basically. So the Knights ended up winning 14-10 to 10 after taking a 14-0 lead to halftime. They actually played... I thought they played quite well in the first half. The Tigers yep, were very they disappointing. Did. A lot of drop ball, lack of imagination. Very disappointing in the first half. But then I thought the Tigers in the second half had all the field position. The Knights, I don't think... I think they may have only completed three or four sets in the second half. They really put a lot of pressure on themselves. They looked like they were going to choke, right? And the Tigers Absolutely. just couldn't find a way to score a third try. It was just these kicks. That's all they had in their arsenal. I don't know what happened because the first half, the Tigers went into their shell. They look far better when they're playing and letting the ball move around using Dwayne and um, Dane Laurie, but they were really poor. I felt like they were slow. The game was slow. Gee, it's not a game we're ever going to watch again. No, and the Knights scored a couple of good tries to Tuala, but like, look, like you said, right, I thought in the second half, I thought the Tigers, all of a sudden, it switched around. The Tigers just, they started to dominate the game, but they weren't playing good football until right near the end. And I don't know how they didn't win that game in the end. The Knights well, I mean, totally went off the know. ball. Like, I don't know how don't they didn't know. win. I don't know how they didn't get another try either, just quietly. I mean, it was a bit of a... Can't figure that out. I thought the, the Knights got very lucky. They had a good first half, but I thought they were very lucky to win the game in the end. The one thing I will point out about this game is I know last year when Madge McGuire had to go through the growing pains of blooding in Kapoa, the centre for the Tigers, but you can see he started, you know, he did his knee as he started to sort of adjust, but this year I think he's played quite well and you can see him getting better, which is a good thing. You know, good good on the kid. But outside of that, mate, the Tigers need to play good footy. And Jock Madden, you know, decent game. I think Jock Madden's the future. I don't know that you can go back to Luke Brooks now. So, And the, well, they keep I agree. The, the rumours are that they keep shopping Jackson Hastings around. So, oh, look, mate, I don't know. Who knows Shocking game. I, it was Terrible a shocking day. game. Shocking game. I wonder if Lee Hadjipentelis will sue the NRL to get these two points <laughs> back. <laughs> I don't know. If he turns up in his hat and his sunglasses and his, his um, trench coat, he might um, intimidate the NRL into giving him his points back. All right. Let's move on to our preview of round 22. This will be a quick pod this week because we've only had to cover eight games. Um, and hopefully we'll less less editing for you, G. So first yep. up on the Thursday night, it's the Blockbuster Grand Final Replay. Or not replay from last year, the 2020 yep. Grand Final Replay. 
Um, the Panthers versus the Storm at Penrith Stadium. The Panthers are $1.54 favourites. The Storm are $2.50 outsiders and have five and a half points start. What do you think of this one? This is a tough one for me to pick because of the outs for the Panthers. I would have picked the Panthers with a relatively full-strength side, but now, honestly, T, I, this is a 50-50 for me because James Fisher-Harris is missing as well, and he's really their forward leader. I don't know if they can withstand James Fisher-Harris being out as well, but I will wait to see what the Storm team um, what team the Storm names before I make my tip because I think the Storm's going to need to play an attacking style of football to beat the defence. So I'm waiting to see if they're going to have that well, speed in their lineup. I started off thinking the Panthers. I'm leaning Panthers. Leaning. I, I, I just think if James Fisher Harris is out, I think yeah. way, if Cam Munster, like Cam Munster had a great game at fullback, yeah, right? it made all the difference. If he plays like that, it's going to be hard for the Panthers. Although there are, other than Para, they haven't lost this year, right? So it's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's a hard pick. The, this one, yeah. I'll, I'll make the call closer to the closer to Thursday. I, I think so. Me too. Uh, but not sure. I'm leaning Panthers. The early kickoff on Friday. So you're tipping the Panthers. If you, I see in the tipping column you've gone against the Panthers, you're a dog. Um, speaking of dogs, uh, a weak first dog up on Friday night. Me is yes. the Warriors versus the Bulldogs in New Zealand. The Warriors are $2.45 outsiders and the Dollars are $1.55 favourites. The Warriors have four and a half points start. I'm tipping the Bulldogs. Surely you can beat the Warriors. Tipping, yes, I'm tipping the Bulldogs and this is a team. This is a game we should win. Okay, brilliant. I look forward to the Warriors putting 40 on you. That's so, probably what will happen. Well, the Friday night game on Channel 9 is the Eels versus Souths. This is one of our bogey teams, Souths. It's been a long time since we've beaten them. Um, it is a bank west. Souths are $1.60 favourites. Eels are $2.35 outsiders. Eels have three and a half points start. I think Souths will win this, and I think they'll do it comfortably. This is a hard game for me. I know you're going with your old, you know, I the Souths always beat us thing, but Jesus, the Eels, your team's hard to pick. This is a game they really should assert their, you know, sort of make a statement. But I, I, don't, I can't trust them, and I don't know if Souths are playing well enough to beat them. And the Eels show gee, stuff gee, against you're Manly. You're hosting. You're hosting a pod. You're going to have to put an opinion. You know what? I'm tipping the Eels. Good on you. Okay, Get, put your money on Souths. All right, let's move on to Super Saturday. First up, it's the Roost. This is a hard round. You said you're going to play your Joker this week. Not a good round to do it. <laughs> yeah, yes. but you're going to do it. The Roosters versus Cowboys. The Roosters are $1.74 favorites. Cowboys are $2.10 outsiders and have two and a half points start. I think on form. The Roosters have been playing a lot better than the Cowboys and they're at home and I think the Roosters will get up. Yep, I wouldn't surprise me if the Cowboys do beat them because I think the Cowboys are a very good side. But I think the Roosters are playing really well as a unit now and they're settled and this is their team for the running. I'm tipping the Roosters because I think they'll be good. All right, next up, next up, it's the Tigers versus the Sharks on the middle game in Super Saturday. The Tigers are at home at... But they're $4 outsiders. The Sharks are $1.25 favourites, and the Tigers have 12.5 points start. Is there a world in which the Sharks don't win this? The Sharks definitely. No, I'm tipping the Sharks, but if the Tigers revert back to their last month's footy, not last week's, they got a shot because the Sharks have been a bit hit and miss when in attack. So the Tigers have got points in them, but I'm tipping the Sharks. Okay. And the last game on Super Saturday at Suncorp is the Broncos versus the Knights. The Broncos are $1.15 favourites. The Knights are on holidays at $5.50 and have 16.5 points start. <laughs> the Broncos easily. I think um, Andre Ponga might take over the coaching reins for this one because everyone else is on holidays. The Broncos will win easily. Yeah, they've gone one. fishing the Knights. They've gone, so they have gone fishing. Let's... 
the Sunday night games. Uh, first up, it's the Raiders versus Saints. Raiders are a dollar fifty favourites. Saints are two dollars sixty outsiders. It is in Canberra. Saints have six and a half points start. Given the controversy of this week, geez, you've got to think the Raiders have got to be up and about, don't you? I think the Raiders will win just because of that. But this game is a honestly, it's a pick 'em. Who knows who would win this game? It's, oh it's my too God. even. You've got like five pick 'ems, and you're gonna. This is a hard go, game. This is a hard. You're gonna week. use your it's joker. Terrible. You're gonna use it's your a joker. Terrible week. week. Right. Week. The Titans versus Manly brings up the rear. I think this is a tough one to pick. Only because the Titans are at home. They're $2.75 outsiders. Manly are $1.45 favourites. And the Titans have six and a half points start. I'm going to tip Manly. But I've seen enough that I think this game might be close. I think it will be close. The Titans will keep it close. But I think Manly will win this game because it's more important for them to win this game. So that brings us to the close of another G&T show. We've lost him midstream there, but um, that's okay because he wasn't going to tip anyone anyway. So we will join you again next week and thank you, G. Okay, T, I will see you next week. Speak to you then. Look forward to this week in the NRL.